you've been a part of this sermon series for the last several weeks, we've noted previously James's concern for those who would name Jesus Christ, those who would profess Jesus to be their Lord, and yet would still persist in living in a manner that is contrary to Christ and contrary to his ways. James' letter expresses his distress over these inconsistencies, and this continues as we look into chapter 4 of his letter. And there is a lot going on in these 12 verses, and, and I can't possibly do justice to everything you heard read and stuff us out by lunchtime. So forgive me for boiling this down and putting it under what I think will be three simple headings that fit the text. The first heading is that there is the symptom of a problem. The symptom of a problem. Secondly, we learn about the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem. And thirdly, good news, we're shown the remedy for the problem. The remedy for the problem. So the symptom of the problem or the indicator that there is trouble is the persistent conflict and fighting between members of the believing community. In verse 1, James references fights and quarrels that are taking place within the church. You move on to verses 11 and 12, and James exhorts believers not to slander one another, and cautions them about passing judgment on one another. It's bad enough that Christians would fight and quarrel with one another, but what is worse is the deeper problem that those symptoms point to. Because as I read James, our being at odds with fellow believers puts us at odds with God. This is why fighting in the church is so serious. And, and I can preach this today because as far as I know, there's not a whole lot of bickering going on at St. Andrew's Kirk. Things are going well. We're getting along. So I'm safe to say this, I think. I hope. But it's an important statement, nevertheless, to keep us on our front foot, as it were. Our being at odds with fellow believers puts us at odds with God. James frames this rather sternly. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now I realize the connection between interpersonal conflict and friendship with the world may not be readily obvious. But as we move through the passage and look at the cause of conflict, the connection should be more clear. That the prevailing attitudes in our heart either line up with God in His ways or they line up with the world in the world's ways. So the cause of the problem, according to James, and it's not good news, the cause of the problem is our self-serving desires. Our self-serving desires. He says the fights and the quarrels are caused by our desires that battle within us. 
Now, it may be of interest to a few of you to know that the Greek word that's translated here as desires is the word hedone. Hedone, and it's from the word hedone that we get the English term hedonism. Hedonism, of course, is the pursuit of pleasure for oneself. And hedonism is a worldview that basically says my primary aim in life is to make myself happy. My primary goal in life is to maximize the pleasure and comfort I feel. And if I'm governed by hedonism, I'm always going to gravitate toward that which makes me feel good. Often without any regard to how that pursuit affects other people. Accordingly, if you interfere with my pursuit of personal pleasure, what's going to inevitably happen is we're going to be in conflict. Because you're getting in the way of my seeking to maximize my pleasure. Let me give some examples. If what I want to make me happy is in limited supply, I will begrudge that you want a share of that. Let me give you an example from my childhood. When my family would, would gather people over for a family dinner, there was always a couple of desserts because you wanted to deal with varying tastes. So my mother would often make a cherry cheesecake because she knew I loved cherry cheesecake. And she would often make a pecan pie because she knew that was very popular as well. And I remember as a child being personally offended by every person who took a slice of that cheesecake. Because the maximum pleasure I would get would be the amount of cheesecake I would get to have for myself. And people would take big slices of the pecan pie and I'd say, God bless you. I don't care. I don't like pecans. Have, have pecan pie. It's better. But I would be personally offended and bothered when people would take cherry cheesecake. Similarly, if our pleasure dictates that we're trying to reach a certain destination, maybe we're traveling and somebody slows us down, or maybe we're just trying to pass a course in school and somebody's causing us to distract ourselves from studying, we get upset and we become in conflict if individuals block our goals, whether we're trying to accomplish something at school, trying to accomplish something at work, trying to find rest and vacation time, we get in conflict with those who get in our way. That's hedonism. Hedonism is a me first attitude. It's the ancient sin. It's the ancient sin we read about in Genesis chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. The pursuit of pleasure is an ancient reality for the human race. But I don't want you to think that the pursuit of pleasure is all bad. I don't want you to think that the pursuit of pleasure is all bad. Here's the key. What makes the pursuit of pleasure sinful is when we pursue pleasure outside of God and outside of what God prescribes for us. What makes the pursuit of pleasure sinful is when we want something that's outside of God 
Either it's not from Him or He's not ordained it for us. That's when it's a bad thing. And when we pursue pleasure apart from God, what are we doing? We're conforming to the ways of this world. Pursuing pleasure apart from God means we're conforming to the ways of this world. And as James says clearly, friendship with the world, that is alignment with the values of the world, puts puts us at odds with God. So now we have everything framed for us. Conflict with God, symptomized by our conflict with others, is the great problem identified in this passage. But I don't want us to miss that the bigger problem is a breach in our relationship with God, which is symptomized by the breaches in our relationship with one another. The cause of this problem, we're told, is our self-centered desires. Now, I want to move on to the remedy, but here's my concern. My concern is that you hear this problem framed for you. My worry is that you don't think it's a problem at all for you. My worry is that we don't see how we're acting in accordance with the world's ways. The obstacle for many of us is we don't see ourselves falling into this trap in the first place. We think we're doing okay here. Well, apparently the people in James' day thought they were doing fine too. So James had to get out his scroll and his ink and tell them, No, you guys have got it all wrong. You think you're doing fine, but you're just looking out for yourselves. There are many in James' day who didn't see the problem. And here's why I don't think we always see the problem. We don't always see the problem because your default position... And my default position, that is the position we were born with instinctively, is to position ourselves to be comfortable, to position ourselves to be happy. That is our default. If nobody ever said anything to us, we would naturally move towards that which is good and comfortable by our estimation. So what happens is this. We look around the room. We think, well, I know so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, and they're just looking after their pleasure. They're just going after what makes them comfortable. They're just doing things according to their preferences. We look around the room, and we say, well, everyone's doing it this way. This is just the way the world operates. We do what makes us happy. We do what makes us comfortable. We do what we prefer. This is what everyone's doing. James says that's wrong. That's not the way of Christ. In our self-serving pursuit is the reason we're fighting with one another. We don't get what we want, so we push back. We write an email. We recruit others to our position. We slander those who oppose us. And so on. James says this isn't the answer. We're exacerbating the problem. When we force our own way, or when we impose our will on others, we're acting in a manner contrary to Christ. And this is huge, because I think we're all tempted to this. 
We're all tempted to impose our will on another. We're all tempted to get our way or to get something done our way. But when we force our way, we're acting in a manner contrary to Jesus Christ. You'll remember, Jesus didn't redeem us by taking hold of power. Jesus didn't redeem us by taking hold of power. He redeemed us by giving up power. By relinquishing authority, He redeemed us. Jesus didn't redeem us by asserting Himself. Jesus redeemed us by humbling Himself and submitting to death on a cross. So now as followers, we shouldn't be surprised to hear that we're being called to give up power. We're being called to give up authority. We're being called to walk humbly with our God and with fellow man. The remedy to the problem of conflict can be found when we humbly approach God. The remedy to this problem can be found when we humbly approach God. You could say that the remedy to every spiritual problem is God. It's just like we used to do children's stories. And it didn't matter what question I asked, if the child answered Jesus, we'd say, well done. So there's a sense in which the answer to every spiritual problem is Jesus. And the remedy to every spiritual ailment is God. But as believers... There remains something for us to do. There remains a posture for us to take in order to benefit from God's transforming power. And to this end, verses 6 through 8 are the heart of this text in, in outlining the remedy. James says, He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now you notice James even introduces the devil into this scenario. He introduces the devil as having a role to play. But notice that James does not tether the problem to the devil. He does not tether the problem to the devil. James doesn't say, you know what? The reason you're fighting, the reason you're quarreling, the reason all these problems are happening is because the devil has made a mess of things. It's the devil's fault that all this nonsense is happening. No, James doesn't say that. James says our desires are the problem. Our desires are the root. But perhaps, like in the garden, the serpent is there. And the serpent is simply egging us on to fulfill the desires that we naturally aspire to. Perhaps the devil is not the cause of the problem, but maybe he's nearby. Helping us to reason out in our mind why our particular pursuits for pleasure really aren't all that bad. James says, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. How do I do that? How do I do that? How do I resist someone I can't see? 
someone who's been around for all of human history. How do I resist the devil? The same way you overcome the problem of conflict caused by our self-serving desires. We resist the devil by submitting to the Almighty. We resist the devil by submitting ourselves to God. Now think of the word submit. When you submit to someone, you're making yourself vulnerable to that person. And as Alistair Begg has said, submission to God is the outworking of a truly humble heart. Submission to God is the outworking of a truly humble heart. What does this mean for us, practically? Our starting point, our starting point in life needs to be, I can't. Our starting point in life needs to be, I can't. And I realize that our culture has a very different message. That if you turn on the TV today, you're going to hear a lot of messages that are the polar opposite of what I've just said. The world will say to you, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, believe in me. Jesus doesn't say, believe in yourself, you can do it. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says you can do it. You can do anything you want. You can do it. Jesus says, no, you can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. So we must begin by assuming a humble posture and admitting that we need God. And we are incapable of a fruitful life, incapable of a life that pleases God apart from Him. We need His proximity and we need His power. And so it is with a humble faith that we draw near to God. Now, I want us to know that even though we are in this manner helpless, nevertheless, something is required of you. Though we are powerless to remedy our predicament on our own, we are not powerless to pursue the remedy in God. See, that's a very important distinction. I think it's up on the screen. There it is. Though we are powerless to remedy our predicament on our own, we are not powerless to pursue our remedy in God. Every indication is that there's something we can do and something we must do. We must come near to God. We must come near to God. Intimacy with God. But it's not an automatic thing. Intimacy with God is not something I wake up with in the morning. I have to go after it. Intimacy with God is something that we need to cultivate. If you woke up this morning and your first waking thoughts weren't of God, if your first waking words were not prayers to God, you did not begin the day with this intimacy. It's not automatic. We have to cultivate our intimacy with God. And perhaps that explains why so few of us experience intimacy with God. Perhaps the reason we do not detect God's proximity in our life 
is because we've not labored to go after Him. Now I know this to be absolutely true. Because there have been times where this explanation has been true of me. I do not always go after God as I ought. And when I don't, I drift. My priorities drift and I slip into that hedonistic mindset that pursues what I want. There are times when I do not sense God's abiding favor in my life. And the reason for it is because I have not gone after it. Now I want to illustrate this tendency with a personal example. Because I think some of us are thinking, well, why are we this way? If if favor with God is as easy as going after it, why don't I do this and why don't I experience this? Let me give a personal example. When I first started visiting the Bahamas, it was about six or seven years ago, and I would visit a friend of mine, a schoolmate, who lives in Freeport. And one of my favorite things to do with my friend in Freeport was to go deep sea fishing. And I immediately fell in love with deep sea fishing. Almost every time we went out, we came back with giant mahi-mahi, we came back with tuna, and it was fantastic. I learned very quickly the effort involved. I mean, you have to go quite a distance out where you can't even see land anymore. And it's quite a science to try to locate something that's underneath the water, that's in the water. It's a difficult thing to locate fish, to reel in these monster-sized fishes, then to clean them and prepare them for cooking. It's a lot of work involved. But if any of you have ever done this, you'll probably say it's worth it, isn't it? I mean, the tuna is so good, you know, you'll put in the, the gas in your boat and you'll take the time, you'll take the energy because the tuna is that good. Well then, let's fast forward to present day. I'm called to be the pastor of this church and I've been here for four years. And maybe you're running the numbers in your mind thinking, I wonder how many times he's been out deep fishing now that he lives here. Would you believe that the number of times I've gone deep sea fishing since I've lived here is once. Just once. You would think that I go fishing all the time by what I've just said. So why, why have I only gone once? Well, you see, I found an easier way to get fish. <laughs> it's true. I found an easier way to get fish, fresh fish. You see, my friend over there, Roger Seavright, he's a good friend of mine, a member of this church. He goes fishing practically every week. Roger loves to fish. And he's willing to go through all the effort, you know, put the gas in the boat, go out and see, do all the work, bringing in the fish, getting the fish cleaned. Roger does all the work. And then with very little prompting, Roger regularly gives me some of his fish. You know, it's all cut and cleaned and it's, it's beautiful. Sometimes I go over and they just hand me some cooked fish and I eat it right there. You see where this is headed, don't you? As long as Roger is giving me fish that I don't need to work for, why would I go to all the effort to fish for myself? So why do I share this with you? I worry that there are some who are applying the same logic 
to their spiritual life. I think there are some people who are applying that same logic to their spiritual life. There are some who are thinking, if I can spend an hour in church or an hour and a quarter in church, and if I can be handed a carefully prepared spiritual meal from the pulpit, and if it can just be given to me, and all I have to do is sit there and not fall asleep, if all I have to do is listen and try to remember, maybe take a note or two, then why would I labor the rest of the week trying to understand the Scripture on my own? Why would I prepare my own meal if Pastor Bryn's going to make one for me on Sunday? I get the logic of this. I really do. Roger, I, I hope you've got more fish. I'm almost out. <laughs> But the remedy that James prescribes is not that we would all attend a church service. Though that's a very important thing and I commend you for it and keep come back next Sunday please. The remedy James prescribes is not that we would listen to some sermons or read some books. Although these two are good exercises. The remedy James prescribes is more personal. And it cuts out the middleman, if as it were. James says, come near to God. And He will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will lift you up. To stay with the metaphor. I realize that part of what I do from this pulpit on Sunday morning is I really do give you a fish to eat. I really, you know, I've worked all week on it and I just hand it over to you. I give you a fish. But I also hope you see that I'm aiming, I'm at least aiming to try to teach you all to fish for yourself throughout the week. Because the remedy for our conflict with God, the remedy of our conflict with others, is that we would cultivate intimacy with God. Intimacy with God every day of the week. And friends, this is something you need to go after in prayer. I cannot impart intimacy with God to you. I can teach you a number of things. I can show you a number of things. But intimacy with God is something only you can get for yourself. As you call out to the Lord in prayer, as you wrestle with what God is saying to you in the Bible. The good news is that the way to get intimacy with God is very simple. It's not complicated. I see what some of you do for a living and some of the manuals and principles you've had to understand. And, and I think, I couldn't do that job in a million years. It's too complex. You have to be too smart. But intimacy with God, that's very simple. Humbly approach Him in prayer. Tell Him you need Him. Tell Him you want Him to be close. Wrestle with what's in this book. Try to understand for yourself what it says. It's not complicated. But I realize it's not easy. Drawing near to God does take effort. It does take effort. It's easier to receive a fish from me on Sunday morning than it is to fish for yourself on Monday. Drawing near to God takes effort. 
But I want to tell you that the reward is worth it. Ask me what the best thing in this universe is. I say intimacy with God. I mean, it's not even a fair fight. No human relationship, no human possession can compete with the joy and the peace you get when you have intimacy with God. It's the remedy to all the world's troubles. It's the remedy to all our troubles. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Go after intimacy with God. Wrestle with Him today. Pray for Him. Humbly approach God. It is the greatest blessing in the universe. Amen.